Hello and welcome to the Avocado Proust podcast, a weekly podcast about tech, culture, health and everything in between. We'll share things that caught our eye this week and then go a bit deeper on our topic of the week. Hi Chiefs. Hi Looms. I've missed you. I've missed you too. I'm finally back. We're back in the same room and it's wonderful. So good. So, so good. We made the mistake of going to have dinner before recording this. Yeah, so we're both incredibly (laughs) full and I was just saying I feel like all my blood has left my brain and has gone to my digestive system which is the perfect state of place the state of mind to be in in order for this and we have a really fun topic as well that's going to require a lot of brain power on our part anyway or will it i don't know we'll We'll see see how it goes we'll see how how it goes keep it loose (laughs) so this week we'll be talking about money and why as women it's so important for all of us to develop some sort of financial acumen especially when you're in love so we'll be talking about money mindsets that we think all women should be considering when they are in love or in a relationship. And we'll give you some things to consider as well as you're developing your view on money and what money means to you and what you would like money to mean in your relationship. But first, (laughs) before we get into that, we have some highlights this week. Yeah, so there's a couple of things I wanted to share with you this week. Go on then. The first one is about dairy. So nearly 50%, in fact 49% of Generation Z people surveyed, Gen Gen Z? Gen Z? Sorry, I got that wrong. (laughs) Generation Z sounds like something an elder millennial would say. So I think you said it exactly the way it was meant to be said, frankly. So yes, sorry, 49% of Gen Z in this survey said they were ashamed to order dairy in public in front of their peers. And for context, this is research that was part... um, that was done by a dairy company called Arla and they were looking at how social media affects how people change their diet. So obviously they're quite interested in, you know, understanding how people's attitudes to dairy are changing. But yeah, I thought that was pretty crazy. 49% of them are ashamed to order dairy. Although apparently 70% of them would prefer to continue to drink dairy. First of all, who, okay, Arla are my dudes, okay? <laughs> I love Arla. I drink their lactose-free milk all the time. That's the only milk that I drink. So who, who are these people who are shaming other people for, for dairy? Well, so I think what they're sort of suggesting from this research is that social media is influencing people on how they change, you know, how they might change their diet and... Obviously, the things we see on social media aren't necessarily true. So I think essentially they wanted to prove the point that, you know, people are looking at stuff on social media and using that to inform decisions because they think it's to do with, you know, the environment or it's more socially acceptable or whatever to not have dairy. But actually, you know, maybe maybe that's not what the facts are. And obviously, as a dairy company, they're going to talk about, you know, how dairy isn't that bad for the environment or, or whatever um so they have their own intentions obviously by conducting this research but i thought it was interesting and i think uh, another one of the stats showed that a third of people in the uk 
that they surveyed admit to making choices about their food and dietary choices based purely on information from social media. <laughs> so I, I, I was about to be like, that's crazy, what? And then I remembered all the Instagram stalking that we do before we pick where we're going to go <laughs> to have any sort of meal. The first place, I don't look at Google reviews. I go straight to Instagram for any restaurant I'm looking at to see if it's food that I might want to eat. So is that kind of what they mean? Well, I, I think that's more you, you know, you have an idea of what food you like and you're just almost looking at pictures and maybe reviews and it happens to be on Instagram. Whereas I think here what people are seeing is that, you know, it's more sustainable not to have dairy. It's better for the environment. It's, you know, you're a better person if you don't have mm. dairy. It's that kind of messaging that they're seeing on social media that is then informing their dietary choices and like any restrictions that they might decide to implement whereas I think looking at Instagram for like restaurants nothing like nothing is influencing you there in terms of you're not going to change your diet you're just gonna you might just go to try a restaurant yeah but I don't think that's quite the same yeah it sounds like the, the the people who are worried about ordering dairy in public are worried about what that might mean for for their identity their sense of identity like I am a good person I care about the environment so I shouldn't be ordering dairy yeah and it's or like what something. other people are gonna think of you yeah so it means something about you and your personality whereas yeah. I mean not for me it's I wish more places offered lactose-free dairy that my dietary restrictions are dictated by my body. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Not by my social media feed. <laughs> there are restrictions on the body. The point about people making choices, dietary choices based on social media, it sounds again, I mean, it sounds pretty similar. It's the, the identity thing mm. as it does with, with dairy. It's apparently what you, I guess social media is such a huge part of so many people's sense of self that yeah. if you're, if you feel like that might be threatened in some way, you would change your real life behavior in order to empower your online behavior. Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, you want to have an online presence as someone who is like cool and vegan yeah. and stuff like that. Ooh, you okay. want to be a good person online, but how do you how do you do that if you're going against the meme you saw about dairy before? <laughs> it's funny you should mention memes. <laughs> There was a stat here about people making choices based on memes and let me, I just need to I mean, find it. <laughs> I, I too have made choices based on memes. I am um, not, I'm not judging. Ah, uh, yes, here it is. Nearly one in five people, so 18%, admit to relying on social media as a legitimate source of information and 15% say they consume news through memes. <laughs> I, I yeah, like a meme. I, I, I buy that. You know, I, yeah, but... I can see that. <laughs> no, I do. I do. I do buy that. It's, there have been times when I found information out from memes, like the Will Smith slap. Oh, yeah. That's I, a good point. I found actually. that out on a meme. And I was like, what are they talking about? Why were they? And then I Googled Will Smith and Chris Rock and saw the news article for that. So that was the time when I found something out from a meme. Yeah, that's fair. I think I actually think I saw about that from a meme as well. It's, do you know what, it, what, well, what's interesting, I, I did read somewhere about how memes are now becoming a, a, a really viable way of, of passing information around. Memes are the modern day way of the average person parsing information. 
So trying to process information because, you know, a meme about something that, that's already that's happened is a take on something that's happened. So a lot of people mm. will form, form choices based on what they've seen on memes. And it's also a really digestible format because it's like often humorous. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like stand up comedy, but in a screenshot. But I think what is also important is it's visual. So you process it so quickly as opposed to the, like the written word. So it's easy to take in and to share and it doesn't in our you know world of ever shortening attention spans it doesn't require too much of your attention to get the message across yeah so I think it's actually quite an effective uh, form of communication funnily enough the last meme that I saw today that I saved because I like to save them on my phone when I see them where that taught me something that I didn't know and I haven't fact checked this but <laughs> it's a meme so it must be true <laughs> It said, uh, Cleopatra was born out of seven generations of incest. So how hot could she have been, really? Like, they were probably surprised she didn't come out with three eyeballs and six extra limbs. And so they were like, oh, it's not that bad. And it got misconstrued <laughs> as her, into her being really good looking. <laughs> See? So it's like humorous, oh, but also potentially taught me something. Yeah, yeah, if it's true. If it's true. But did I look up to see if it was true? Did I Google Cleopatra, Cleopatra incest? No, I did not. I saw it, had a chuckle, saved it. And now I'm passing it on to all of you. <laughs> Which is exactly how beams work. So I think that's a great example. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, yeah, I would like to find out if that's true, actually. I feel like. I don't know, it's pretty well known that royal families tend to intermarry, right? So yeah. maybe even, you know, historically that was always a thing. Yeah. So it doesn't feel far-fetched. No, it doesn't. Yes, I mean, we I haven't fact-checked this. No, so. we haven't. I, I would never, I would never just, I, I, like to, I would like to think I would never change my real-life behavior for something I saw online. But, I mean, memes can be quite convincing, especially when they call you out. <laughs> I'll tell you another meme that I saw that in, that affected. Or actually, that's a lie. There was one meme that I saw that changed my <laughs> the way I, my, that affected my real life. When I was in New York recently for this trip, the longest we've ever been apart. Let's let's not make that happen again, please. But I was in New York, and it was the weather was amazing, perfect spring weather, sunny, not too hot, not too cold. And I was walking around, going, you know what? I could live here. There's no like, yeah, I can make it move. I can make it work. You know, I could get a job here. I could live in an apartment, like genuinely consider it and considering it. I was talking to colleagues and being like, they're like, oh, you having fun in New York? I was like, yeah, yeah, I could definitely live here. And then I saw, <laughs> I saw a meme a few days after I'd spoken to some colleagues about the actual viability of moving to, of me moving to New York. And the meme just said the millennial urge to go, I could live here after two days. And I went, oh, okay, all right, maybe, I, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's the memes that where you feel attacked. Yeah, yeah. A little too seen. They show you too much of yourself. A little bit too much, a little bit too much. So no, I will not be moving to New York. And, uh, and it's all because of a meme. So there you Thank go. Thank goodness for memes. <laughs> so was there anything that caught your eye this week? There other was. Other than memes? Yes, there was. So I found out about a cafe in Tokyo that won't let you leave until you finish the writing that you've gone in there to do. Ooh. Yeah. So you go in and apparently you go in and you write on a piece of paper how many words 
you are you you need to write for that day whether it's a manuscript or manuscript or whatever piece of work you're doing how many words that you need to write and how much time you have to spend in the cafe and you give it to a member of staff and the member and then you choose the level of engagement you want with the accountability so it can just be it can be super casual where they just you know walk past and go hey how are you getting on and you know checking on you or and there's varying levels of accountability or it goes all the way to the extreme <laughs> where <laughs> where they will um shame you <laughs> if you are behind <laughs> Wow. And obviously honor is, is like a huge part of Japanese culture. Yeah. So to be shamed, it's like the worst possible consequence. So that I thought that was really interesting, especially because you've, you you've had writer's block recently. I have a little bit, yeah. And I really like that idea. Obviously, accountability, I think, helps with achieving any sort of goal. Yeah. But I like that they've created like a business with it and and I think it brings a new angle to like working from a cafe which mm-hmm. you know is like nice for a change of scenery or whatever but actually it could really help you get your work done so I, yeah I think it's a, cool. it's a genius idea and yeah. you're not allowed to leave until you finish so <laughs> I mean I feel like Japanese culture is a lot more respectful than English oh, culture absolutely. so yeah. they would they would actually I guess uh, they wouldn't need to do anything too harsh to enforce that. It would no. be your own... Your own pride yes, should you... yeah, should stop you from leaving before you finished because there's witnesses to your shame. Yeah, and you've like committed it yeah. to it and stuff. Whereas I feel like in the UK, that just wouldn't work. <laughs> People, I don't know, would just be like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you went in there by choice, voluntarily, nobody yeah. forced you to go and in there. And you've asked for this level you of accountability. You specifically and... asked for the accountability. Yeah. And you'd still feel perfectly entitled to get up and walk out and feel no shame. <laughs> it's yeah. a strong motivator. It's uh, the cafe charges by the hour. Uh, yes, I was going to say. a great business model. That is clever. And do they also charge more for different levels of accountability? Yes, I suspect that, that they sense. do. I suspect they do. The article doesn't say, but I, yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. It could be an interesting add-on to any cafe, re- really. Yeah, I I love that idea. That could be part of your uh, your eventual retirement cafe dream. You could add that on as an extra. Yeah. So you have like yeah, you can have oat milk and accountability. Yeah. <laughs> I have a latte with a yeah I love a, a little bit of oat milk side of accountability medium hard and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no shame please thank you very much interesting that they've used a stick rather than a carrot as the ultimate form of accountability yeah I feel well or is it that western cultures would are see that as a stick instead of a carrot because it's not it's like I feel like it's a, shame avoiding is definitely shame. A... Well, avoiding shame is a carrot. Is it? Yeah. I feel like shame is a negative thing. Is this like a glass half full, half empty type situation? Is that is it one of those where it's like avoiding shame is either is a carrot or a, or a stick? Because a stick is shame, and shame. What's a stick in the <laughs> carrot and stick analogy? I I so. I feel like, yeah, I was just <laughs> put this analogy out there and 
should probably actually think about what it means. So I think a carrot is basically a positive incentive to do something, right? So if you finish your writing, you will get a lovely cake for free. Mm, a like stick is you'll have a negative consequence for not doing it. So it's kind of like reward and punishment. So I feel like some people respond better to like a positive reward and some people probably respond better to a more negative punishment. Mm. That's just my thought. I don't actually know if that's true. There's probably some research on what people respond better to. Yeah. Well, in, I suppose in this case, the carrot is that you get to leave. <laughs> you can leave the cafe if you finish your work. And also the carrot is a finished number of pages that you set off to do for that day. Yeah, so I guess you get the positive outcome of you've yeah. accomplished that goal. And you avoid shame, which is also a positive outcome. Yes, but I think the, <laughs> I think the threat of shame is the negative. Like, it's, yeah. it's the thing that you right, right. are avoid, either avoiding or striving towards. Yeah. So it's sort of like you're running away from shame or you're running towards a lovely cake. Yeah. But either way, you'll get your work done. Which, unless, so which which is the better motivator for you, basically? Yeah, unless it's your third cake of the day, in which case that just automatically comes to the side of shame, if you're me. <laughs> but I thought that was interesting. And yeah, a nice that is interesting. I'd be I'd be down for that. I also someone who responds really well to uh to being witnessed. Last week I mentioned personality tests that tell you the different elements of your personality and like what what parts of your personality you're flexing in different situations part of that test was also talking about what motivates you and what you're motivated by so some people are motivated by themselves like they can find that in them they can get themselves or push themselves to where they want they need to be whereas others perform best when they're being witnessed so like it's a difference between going to the gym by yourself and just having a great workout or doing a class at the gym and having a great workout I wouldn't go to the gym by myself and have a good workout. I would always do a class because I need to visually see and experience that other people can see me in my greatness, <laughs> in my sweatiest best. Fair <laughs> enough. I think it's good you know what works for you and what motivates you because I think a lot of people probably don't know that and they're just kind of like trying stuff out. But it helps I have with, no idea. Yeah, it helps with perfectionist brain as well. And part of like one thing... I respond really well to is if I find that I just cannot get work done or can't get something done I set a deadline and without with somebody else so I'll tell somebody I will send you this by this time you can make up a deadline make up a whatever that is and knowing that deadline is there knowing that somebody will see that thing usually gets me nice gets me gets the flow gets me into the energy flow of getting whatever I need to do done but that's all part of like understanding what motivates you. There's a lot that of good that can come from getting curious with yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting. I'm pretty sure you've tried that technique on me before, like setting an artificial deadline. It definitely doesn't it, work. Well, it doesn't work because <laughs> you don't, because first of all, because me, anyway. we're friends, but yes, also because yeah. I'm not a stakeholder. I'm not somebody you're trying to impress. I'm not somebody who, who like, who you feel like, incentivized right. to do a good job for not like a boss or a colleague or somebody like that you know so it's not gonna work if it's just me because you're like oh it's just looms i'll just like not do it and she can't do anything she she'll like me no matter what she still has to like me <laughs> whereas when it's like a boss or a colleague or somebody who you're trying to like curry favor with that normally 
to like try that next time that normally will work that makes sense or if it doesn't work then no refunds it's a free po- <laughs> it's a free podcast you don't get any refunds if anything we say doesn't work <laughs> all right what about you any other any other highlights from the week yeah so i wouldn't describe this as a highlight really because it's quite depressing but important um so most people will have seen that last week the US Supreme Court leaked or someone leaked a draft opinion which is when they say their opinion on something yeah. I was like how do I explain well, they that pass judgment on something right they, yeah. they're like final say judgment yeah on on an issue and essentially they were it was in support of overturning Roe versus Wade, which was a Supreme Court case from the 70s that gave women rights to an abortion on a national level. Mm -hmm. So essentially what that means is when it's overturned, the state laws come into effect. And obviously there's lots of quite conservative states who don't believe in a woman's right to an abortion. So I think it's predicted that 26 of 50, which is a oh, just majority, a lot. will criminalise abortion. So, yeah, not a very happy topic. No. And there's a lot of angles that are interesting to take around this. I guess one that I'm particularly interested in was the data privacy side of things. So I've used cycle tracking apps for years I think they're really interesting not always entirely sort of accurate depending on you know you shouldn't really use them for birth control if you're just inputting your cycle data and stuff like that but I think the concept behind like femtech is good Mm -hmm. trying to help women become more uh, empowered and understand their bodies And obviously in the context of abortion, all that data can be used against women by prosecutors who are trying to put them in prison if they've had an abortion. So obviously that cycle data can become evidence that, you know, you haven't had a period, so you might have fallen pregnant, but then, you know, you haven't had a baby or or whatever. So that's the kind of thing that is a bit uh, dodgy around those kind of apps and this current issue does this relate just to the privacy data the data privacy policies of like the cycle tracking apps or is this down to like location tracking that some companies do so like they know that you have visited an abortion clinic like down to like a few feet some companies will do yeah so both so all sorts of data can be used in this context of trying to prove if someone's had an abortion when it's illegal. So yeah, exactly. Uh, Cycle tracking, um, location data. So there's data brokers that actually, exactly as you were said, were selling that location data to law enforcement of people who were visiting uh, family planning clinics. And essentially that data is in aggregate but that doesn't mean it's like completely anonymous essentially you can take aggregate data and figure out who someone is from it 
with stuff whenever i hear stuff like this i just i know so if somebody's making money like if something like this exists it's because somebody's making money from it along the way yes so the companies that are selling the data i mean i we spoke before about one of the newer dating apps who didn't really have a concrete privacy policy and when i asked what they were doing with the the legal id the government id that people were being asked to upload there were just wasn't that much of a response and i saw in your mm. newsletter this week that we're you know because we accept we normally just accept terms and conditions so we don't actually know when our data is being sold or not by these companies and so and it's normally you would think oh it's fine but actually it, it can like this is one of those worst case scenarios where the data that's sold of you could potentially land you with a murder charge if you're in certain parts of the US. Yeah, definitely. So like, I think, you know, we exactly as you said, we just accept these privacy policies, don't really think about it, you know, even on the surface, out of the context of this abortion issue, if someone had said, oh, you know, they might be selling your period data, you'd be like, I don't really care. Why do they care when I have my periods? Whereas, obviously, now it's like, oh, this is why they care. So they can put you in prison. So I think people aren't necessarily cognizant of how this data is going to be used almost until it's too late. Like, I don't think companies really think about how the data they collect could be used for harm, essentially. They're just collecting it because they think they're trying to build this cool product and make money. But we live in a scary world and especially especially when it comes to data yeah and women so yeah I just think it's a very sad state of affairs really and I think yeah women are basically being told to just not use those apps and there's all sorts of other things like yeah don't if you're going to a clinic or something don't bring your phone bring like a burner phone Mm. it's just like it's so much effort to go through I don't know it is actually bizarre I can't believe that it feels like they're like going back in time that this has come up again it's very frustrating to see even from across the pond even from all the way over here it's very frustrating to see some of what's going on around the topic of abortion because oh there's just there's so many different takes right it's because it's not actually about life it's it's about suppressing women and like Mm. controlling women's bodies controlling women's autonomy because you know a patriarchal society benefits the most when you have (laughs) subservience from a particular class of people right you're gonna get a lot more people in power who are gonna be able to stay in power for as long as possible and you know for anyone who's like read the handmaid's tale or seen the handmaid's tale like this is exactly how it starts this is completely how it starts yeah. yeah. So that uh, if you haven't watched or seen The Handmaid's Tale or read The Handmaid's Tale and you're worried wondering why someone make such a big deal about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually saw an interesting so I actually haven't read or watched The Handmaid's Tale but I I know the premise but I saw an interesting article this week that said drawing comparison to uh dystopian novels or films or whatever in this context is actually really bad because it almost absolves the responsibility of anyone like to 
rectify this situation because it's like, oh, this is dystopian. It's like fiction. I can't believe this is happening. And it's like, well, no, no, this is reality. Like mm -hmm. we can't, it almost discounts it in a way and, and makes us seem like helpless and that this is just the future that we are going to have by making those comparisons. Whereas I think it needs to, the narrative needs to be more about accountability and stopping this kind of thing so I thought that was quite interesting because it is yeah. a it's a natural comparison to draw I would probably pull that back to like this is the carrot stick conversation again right how do you motivate people is it with the stick which is hey this is a preview of the future we're heading into where women have no say women have no rights and our bodies don't belong to us our choices aren't up to us and we're basically just baby making factories uneducated as well because they won't teach birth control they won't teach contraception or any of that it's all abstinence so no one is protecting women of a certain you know from a certain part of the world so that's the stick is look <laughs> yeah this is your future or is it with the carrot which is this is the wrong thing to do women are human beings women deserve rights and if you really are pro-life then the life of the woman should count for something as opposed to counting for nothing mm. uh, you know and, and it's interesting, too, because a lot of the folks who are against abortion will say that people who are pro-choice are pro-abortion. But I don't know a single person who's pro-abortion. Nobody's pro-abortion. Yeah. It's about having the choice. It's about making a decision that doesn't harm anyone next to you. It harms like it's it's a your decision about your body that only impacts yourself. So mm. why should my next door neighbor have a say in my ability to make a decision about what's best for my body or not. Well, yeah, when there's no other medical pr procedure where you have like, I don't know, like a say, other people other governing people, yeah. what you do. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Insane. You know, and I feel like, it, you know, by that same, by that same logic, then before a man can buy Viagra, there needs to be a community of, of women that gets together and decides whether or not, he is a responsible, you know, penis owner. Is he, <laughs> does he, is he kind to people? Is he respectful? You know, is he, is he, do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. the silliest thing. You can go into a pharmacy and get boner pills and you're good to go. But you know, it's just silly. Like the whole idea that, uh, that people can have a say into your decisions in this way now if i if i walk if i was pregnant and i walked down the street and other people were able to catch the pregnancy by walking past <laughs> me that's a different matter it's not your body anymore it's our collective body yeah, it's our collective, collective choice. issue yeah. yeah but if you can't catch pregnancy and it only <laughs> impacts the person yeah it only impacts the person did you not like my boner pills analogy is that what you're saying <laughs> i prefer this one but it's it's very it's it's along those lines, right? So it's yeah. not a um, it's not about pro life or pro abortion. Nobody's pro abortion. I'm not pro abortion. Like I don't know anybody who is. No, it's no. about having the option and doing what's best for you and for your own family. Yeah, it's autonomy basically Completely. for women, which obviously doesn't bode well with men in power. Yeah, and it turns out like one of the Supreme Court justices had protesters show up to his house to protest and of course the government were able to somehow at lightning speed produce a bill that issued 24 7 security protection for the justices 
And this all happened in like less than a few days. They were able to push this through, even though normally they're stuck with other things that are actually Ugh. could potentially help people. And you think about all the all the poor women who have made that, uh, that painful, difficult decision to have an abortion and they go to the clinics and they're ambushed on the way to the clinics. Like there's yeah. no law protecting them from getting abuse. And sometimes they get violence, they get shoved, all of that stuff. Yeah, so bad. Like it's, and there's nothing there's protecting nothing them. Prote- exactly. You know. Exactly, nothing protecting them but some dude in his big mansion who's never been impacted by having to make a decision of that magnitude gets to get 24 7 protection while he passes him and his colleagues will pass pass opinions not even quotation marks just opinions that will impact millions and millions of women Mm. And we're, we're lucky here that it's codified in law. So our choice is codified in law, but you still need doctor approval. Yes, yes. So I thought that was interesting because I only actually found that out when I was, because I wrote my newsletter this week on this topic. So if you want more in depth on it. Link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. <laughs> but yes, one of the things I was researching because I actually didn't know much about it was abortion in the UK. And obviously... The situation here is much better than in the US, which is great, but it's still like it, it still could be better. So, yeah, you need to seek approval from two doctors, which is a bit of a barrier. And I think if you don't, it's still a criminal offence and it's punishable by life in prison. It's insane. So obviously, you know, in theory, I think getting that permission from two doctors shouldn't too difficult but it is possible that it causes delays or that people doctors might be reluctant to grant permissions then you have to find another doctor and I think it just increases the stigma around it it's not super accessible still even though the situation here is much better and I thought that was quite surprising yeah I know someone who went in to get her abortion and when the first doctor like recused himself he was like asked all the questions and said okay well I see what you're here for um I'm going to go and fetch my colleague uh just because I'm I'm not gonna be able to sign this off for you and he went off and got his colleague who signed it off and then got another colleague who also was the second so she was able to get both from the same practice but that's the first doctor she saw was like unsubscribe but that's that is mad though because that is still preventing a woman to making from making the own, their own choice yeah. right yeah like you shouldn't again you don't have that for any other medical procedure do you where it's like criminal yeah. to make a decision you know obviously doctors can give advice and but yeah it's, it's not a crime so I think that is crazy that we still have that even though again it is it is better here but yeah it's better well it, it, in a lot of ways we're quite privileged here because it is free so yeah, you don't have to pay for it point. and you do just have to go and see your GP and I, I don't think that they can refuse I don't think the practice can refuse you just I'm not sure how that works doctor. yeah uh, individual doctors don't have to sign off like religious reasons whatever reasons that they might have they maybe do they object to it but they can't stop you from doing it yeah well I guess in the example you just gave they just get another doctor just and get another it one, sounds yeah. like that was quite quick which yeah. I guess is good but imagine if you know you had an appointment and then you had to make another appointment and you know there's a lot of faff with yeah. that so I can imagine situ- situations where it's not necessarily 
smooth sailing. And if you're in a really conservative part of the UK, maybe like maybe it would be a bigger issue. I did see a stat around sentiment in the UK around abortion and it was a YouGov poll um, and essentially 86% of people in England, Scotland and Wales, not Northern Ireland included in this poll because they are very anti-abortion, very different situation over there. Is is the sentiment in Northern Ireland as in the sentiment itself is... Oh, uh, so sorry. Or is it the rules? The rules there are very anti-abortion. This poll was specifically England, Scotland and Wales. It didn't include Northern Ireland, so I'd wonder how that would be different. But essentially, um, it was 86% of people were pro-choice, which is really good, I think. That's... Yeah, I mean... I, I should hope so that you know, <laughs> I, I absolutely should hope so because to, like it's that's it's surprising that it's that high. Uh, yeah that high I think in the US the numbers like 65% of Americans are pro-choice yeah which I think might just be all the women <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, oh the most stressful thing is when women aren't pro-choice though oh it gives me like it's, I can't. I don't even want to go into it. But like seeing some of the like comments, some to of the this takes. stuff is like yeah. too much. Like one woman in the U.S. called called an unwanted pregnancy an opportunity. Ugh. There was there's an opportunity there. So that was yeah. I just I just I never understand how people will vote against their own interests or go against their own interests. You you are pushing for your own rights to be reduced because you are under some illusion that you don't, you're not qualified to make decisions on your own body or that there's only like, I don't, I just, I really struggle to Mm. get into the mentality. And I've been down a flat earth or black hole before. And I understood (laughs) those people. I got it. I don't agree with them, but I understood it. Whereas this, I can't even put myself in the shoes of somebody who would want less for themselves I just don't know how the cognitive dissonance for that doesn't. I think I, it's because they they think about it as religious. So everything like almost I feel like religious. Not all religious people, obviously, but in this kind of context, it feels like nothing else matters. Your rights don't matter. The religion is the only thing that matters. So I feel like that's that's where this this issue comes up seems to be because it's so associated with like religion i think that's kind of where the rights become secondary almost yeah i mean i see that i i am i'm religious myself i would say i'm a christian but the bible doesn't say anything about abortion it doesn't say that anything about in fact that's interesting i saw in a meme (laughs) that was talking about how judaism is also not like pro-life in the same definition in the way in modern day definition there's nothing against there's nothing about like it's a part of it's a it's a just another human function a fetus is considered part of the mother's body and so is therefore not a full human being so for them life does not begin at conception that's not when life begins so what's that from uh this is a judaism oh okay yeah because like all the religions say don't kill people Mm. but a fetus isn't a person i think that's the crux of it there's some laws in the u.s now that are coming out that are saying that um that life begins at fertilization interesting so 
from the moment an egg is fertilized, if anything goes wrong with it, like you could be accused of homicide. So it's from fertilization. That's crazy. And so obviously that's going to have knock-on effects on things like IVF, for instance, and like because you're dealing with what are considered to be people. But of course, child support doesn't start at fertilization, does it? <laughs> no, it does not. It starts when there's a human person that yeah, has been brought into point. the world. But who's on the who's on the hook for child support? Is it women? Usually no, unless you're Black China. <laughs> Black China's on the hook <laughs> for child support. Or is she I don't even think she is. No, she she's not. not. No, she's not because it's Rob Kardashian and the other one. <laughs> The other dude. What's the other dude's name? I have no idea. They both have babies with her. They both pay child support. And they went viral on social media because Black China, bless her, was complaining that she had to get rid of one of her cars because she's a single mom. And both of her exes, both of who, both of whom have children with her, left comments that went viral that basically said, uh, my child spends five days a week, six days a week with me, and I pay for their school, their medical expenses and their supplies and food. <laughs> and then the other ex was like, uh, I pay X amount and it was slightly more, uh, slightly less than what the first guy put. <laughs> he was like, I pay slightly more and, and my kid spends five days a week with me. So how Whoa. did you, how did you get, how did you get such a small amount? And the guy was like, He's get into my DMs. Yeah. Lawyers. I'll hook you up. I'll hook you up. Don't worry about it. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you about my lawyers. That's so funny. Well, that actually segues quite nicely into our topic of the week. Yes. Relationships and money. Specifically, the mindset. Obviously, we're both women and we are both at different stages of the relationship world. You are in a lovely, happy relationship. I'm out here on these streets trying to... <laughs> trying to make things happen, you know? So we have a, and we're both of an age. So it's, I, we've been having a lot of conversations recently about money and financial matters, if you will. And they span from everything from investing all the way through to like how, like money, the how money impacts the power balance of, uh, for women, especially when we're in relationships. So we decided this week that we wanted to focus on some of the different ways in which a money mindset can really make or break the financial success of a woman like us. Yes. <laughs> also, <laughs> if you're a male and you're listening, I'm sure you'll find a lot of benefit from this too, but we are women. And so we are speaking from our own experiences and our own viewpoints. I think the crux of today's conversation is about how we basically feel like every single woman should have a very strong view on uh, on their attitude to money. That's my personal feeling. Yeah, I agree. I think money is one of those things that people find awkward to talk about. And it's good to have an idea of how you want to, or like what, you, what your own thoughts are on it. So you're not mm -hmm. almost making off-the-cuff decisions without ever having thought about it or just going along with what society thinks or whatever. It's like, no, no, this is your viewpoint. So yes. I, I would tend to agree with that. Absolutely. And it's, 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 it's interesting. It's, I've always found it really awkward with the money, talking about money. Oh, not talking about money, but like 
the impact that money can have on a date, for instance. Like if I go on a date with somebody, it's a first date. I don't necessarily expect them to pay for everything, mm. but I would like for them to try to pay for everything. Yes. And I don't let them pay for everything. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know what it is, but it almost feels like a politeness to offer. Yeah. But I think the reality is I'd want things equal. So I'd happy, like I, I would want to split stuff when you're kind of dating. But I think, yeah, there's, I don't know, I can't really articulate why, but it's something about sort of politeness or generosity. Yeah, I think it's a lot to do with that. I think it's like, it, like knowing that you want to pay for everything, it's sort of like, oh, uh, you want to impress me, mm. and which obviously is a pleasant feeling to have. And so... It's yeah. a, it's, and it's a really unfair way to be because everyone has a different approach to money. And obviously it, your approaches have to be compatible and you're not going to figure out if they're compatible on a first date. And I've been on dates with people who have you know, tried to do the whole paying thing and I've focused too much on that and not focused mm. enough on some of the other red flags that then came along the way. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, multiple red flags <laughs> that I have brought to your door, geez. <laughs> Paying doesn't counteract no. other behaviors that are concerning. No, it doesn't. And so even though we both agree on their, on women needing to have a, a mindset and for things needing to be split equally, there is one area where we don't agree. Yeah, which actually doesn't come up very often. I feel like we're pretty aligned. Yeah, yeah, we are. And so I, th- I think it'd be interesting to dig a little bit, bit deeper into that. So we agree that women should have a really strong view, whatever that view is, but you should have a really strong view on the type of life that you want for yourself and how money, the role that money plays in that life, because that will help direct your, you know, put you, figure out what, what decisions to make that are in your best interest. Mm. Bef- ideally before you get into a relationship where you have to share everything, it's really good to have a great sense of your money. But where we disagree is sort of, not sort of, but, if you own a home and your partner wants to move in with you, I feel like the partner who's moving in needs to contribute like half the mortgage. And I know there's legal implications to that because that's, you, know, you have to be really careful with that because somebody could claim and say, I help pay for part of the flat. So, so you have to be just very careful with that. But there are ways for the partner to contribute to the household especially with the mortgage. You don't agree with that at all, do you? No, I don't. So I agree that you should split like bills and kind of small household expenses, food, that kind of thing. But I think mortgage and actually any big house things should be the responsibility of the person who owns the property. And I guess basically the way I kind of think about it is how does your life change by that person moving into your property? So I would say, you know, you might use more bills. So kind of makes sense that that will go up. So you end up, you you know, you should split them. It's stuff you're both using similar with food like obviously it's stuff you're both using but I feel like I would be paying 
my mortgage, same amount every month. So that's yeah. always a fixed cost for me. So I guess that that's kind of why I would think that that doesn't really matter in terms of like splitting it. Whereas I think stuff, you know, stuff is that that is joint stuff is important to split. But also I guess the house will always be mine. And I kind of think that, as you mentioned, if someone starts paying towards your mortgage, I think there are some weird legal implications that they can claim some sort of ownership. And obviously, you know, if you're in a happy relationship, you assume that that's never going to happen, but you never know with life. So, yeah, I guess it just feels, it keeps things very clear cut that this is mine and I'm the only one who pays for it and maintains it, but it doesn't fall into a grey area then. Yeah, whereas, and I, I, so I completely get that. I get that viewpoint. For me, I think more along the lines of if I was moving into someone to a home that was owned by somebody else and they said, oh, you don't have to pay rent, I would be very concerned about that because the power play there, there'll be a power imbalance. I would be very much in their home. It would never be our home. And so for me, it in my mind, I'm putting myself in a situation as the person who is mo- is the one moving in. I would want to pay half so that I can put some photos up so that I can, you know, do like I can actually move in and, and live here and not be like, oh, I live at my boyfriend's house. It would be we share a home. That's and so, right. So that's kind of the angle that I take. But I do understand the need to keep that clean cut separation. In fact, I'm in support of keeping that separation in other areas. But I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. I think we have very different views, but I don't think one is it's just it's what's right for you basically right yeah it's whatever's right for your relationship and your circumstances and speaking of what's right for your specific relationship and circumstances prenups yes so we both listened to an interesting podcast about this specific issue actually and I think this is another issue we're both aligned on yeah (laughs) um I've always been quite pro prenup I think it's a sensible idea but I guess I've never really been able to articulate why and I think people always assume that you know if you think prenups are a good idea you're a bit of a pessimist and you don't think the relationship's going to work and all that kind of stuff and I yeah I've never really been able to explain that it's not that but I still think it's a good idea. (laughs) See whereas I've I've always been pro prenup but in in my mind I knew deep down that I would never ask someone to do a prenup. Really? Right? Because uh, I was thinking about that today. I would definitely ask. I was like, if a friend, <laughs> well, if a friend said to me, oh, I'm thinking about getting a prenup, but I'm not sure. I'd be like, you are insane if you don't get a yeah. prenup. What are you doing? Regardless of their level of wealth. And so, but when it came down to me, like I've been in long-term relationships that I thought would be forever. And in those, I never would have asked for a prenup. I was like, you know, we're going to be together forever. And now look at me out here on these streets. <laughs> <laughs> so having seen, having, having experienced the breakdown of something that I thought was forever, luckily none, none of my past relationships had any lasting effects financially. There were no mm. children or houses or anything like that to contend with. So it was like a nice clean break, but having listened to the podcast that we listened to where they so clearly articulated why it's important to have a prenup. We wanted to share it with you guys too, because so my yeah. the, the biggest takeaway for me 
from that and we'll link to it in the show notes as well so you can have a listen the biggest takeaway for me was whether or not if you're somebody who believes that signing a prenup is only something rich people do that is horribly misguided Mm -hmm. because your prenup can say whatever you want it to say it can say we want to split everything in half or you know i want to make sure that i only come in with what i left or you know come in with the assets you brought in you can say whatever you want it to say but having a prenup or asking for a prenup doesn't mean that you're not you don't you think it's not going to work out there is a default prenup that every single marriage subscribes to yeah i think that's a good point yeah which people probably don't know is that you're just going with the default if you don't do anything and actually surely you want something personalized that you know makes sense for you you we don't even know what the default is yeah it's just some law that was made you know hundreds of years ago when marriage was invented yeah presumably yeah i was gonna say thousands of years but (laughs) i I haven't done the math i don't know (laughs) Uh, but yeah i think i thought that was a really good point that this thing exists and you just need you need to figure out how to make it work for you yeah and the government doesn't care whether you were in love at one point you're no longer in love it doesn't care about the nuances of your own very specific relationship it doesn't care about your finances these mm. laws were made they were not made with you the specific needs of your own relationship in mind so if you don't do a prenup you're basically saying we if we split up we'll just do whatever the government at the time or back from back in the de- day thought was fair whatever that happens to be so you can either do that which most people do or you can sit down and have a open honest conversation with your partner and say, okay, what it's what are the right terms for our relationship? And you want to do that when you are in love and not mm-hmm. wait until the divorce happens to then start to figure out yeah. how we're going to untangle our lives from each other's. And yeah, which is like a bad place to be doing it from, place right? Do it. You don't yeah. want to be doing it from a place of obviously like probably sadness, anger, all these things. You want to be doing it when you're in a good place and you can kind of think hopefully still quite rationally yeah and say like when you want each other's best interests at heart what's going to be the best yeah what's the best way for us to go about doing this and you do even if you don't own assets together just say like determine just say what how you want it to go how you want it to be split and that overrides the default because the default isn't right for anybody really and you do not want to be at the mercy of some government policy at the worst possible time of your adult life which is probably the breakdown of what was once a happy marriage yeah that's a excellent point i think so i'm a thousand percent pro prenup now pro prenup now and i would expect to do one with the person that i am going to end up with yeah same and i think it's not about you know like being a pessimist or thinking it's not going to work like everyone has the best intentions with things they do in life right so like it's like you know you start a job and you signed a contract yeah even if you think you know you're gonna love this job and you'll be there for years and you know you have the best intentions with it you still have to sign this legal thing when you get married, you still have to, like, it's still a legal yeah, document. Yeah, it's a legally binding so contract. I feel like there are, yeah, it's it's not, I think it gets really entangled with, like, oh, you don't think the relationship is going to work, blah, blah, blah. And it's just too, com- like, it's completely separate it's from un- that. Uh, completely you know, unrelated. Those two topics have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. You, but sign, you sign a contract, you sign a contract when you buy a flat. 
Yeah. You sign a contract with your bank to say like, what's going to happen if you can't pay? You sign a contract. Uh, you hope that you'll always be able to pay your mortgage, but you still have to sign an agreement to say what will happen if you can't pay it. We happily sign that. Not happily. <laughs> Begrudgingly <laughs> sign that. You but sign, it's just a standard right? part of life, yeah. right? You, so. you sign a rental agreement when you're renting a flat. You still have to sign an agreement to say what's going to happen if you, if you decide to leave or if it doesn't work out or when, when your time has come and you're ready to move on. You still have to sign a contract. So marriage is just another contract, except with a prenup, you determine what the, it says the terms of that contract mm. why would why anyone wouldn't want that is beyond me yeah i agree i think i mean i mean lawyer not, fees maybe lawyer fees might be a bit expensive to uh, do a prenup maybe but, but if you can <laughs> if you can get an agreement yes. please do this is yeah fun. and i think it, there's also a bit of a stigma with talking about it as yeah. well like it you know you saying there that you wouldn't have actually asked for it even though you think it's something you believe quite strongly is really interesting like why would you why would have you not asked because I couldn't in my mind even though I knew it was the the best thing for me and my self-interest as a you know as a woman going to a relationship or as just like another person who's entangling a life with somebody else Mm. I knew that that would be the best thing for me but at the same time, I, d- I couldn't articulate. Yeah, it's about the difference. About it, I guess. Yeah, talking about how do how do you bring that up in a way that isn't tainted with the you don't think it's going to work out thing. And mm-hmm. rom coms, you never see them do prenups in rom coms <laughs> no. unless it's like you know they use a prenup to indicate like a marriage between wealthy people when it doesn't work out. Then the prenup mm-hmm. comes up, but you never see a demonstration of like a couple who has sat down and has really put it on the table. Like we're getting married. What are your, v- your views on this? Uh, what do we want to do about finances and money? Like that stuff is not, that's not the exciting stuff. That's not the sunset stuff. That's not the, the conversation you have when you're often on, in Mykonos on the beach or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what couples do. I don't know whatever, <laughs> whatever it is couples do. It's been a while. I have no idea. But like, it's, that's not the fun conversation. Yeah. Right? yeah. Sitting down and doing your expenses and showing, you know, looking at your pensions and talking about like, what have you got saved? Like before you entangle your life, inextricably with somebody else i don't know if you heard that horn but there's a sign outside my door that says honk if you agree and whoever that is <laughs> honked three times because they agree <laughs> but i kind of lost my train of thought <laughs> um untangling it yes. with uh before yeah before you before you completely entangle your life legally with this other human being as wonderful as things are you have to make sure that you always are like putting like I don't say protecting yourself but that sounds really like I don't know see even that language makes me uncomfortable that language the language of like protecting yourself going into a relationship has such negative connotations because yeah we're taught it's, we're, it's the idea that it might fail and, yeah and we're taught that actually you have to go into relationships fully and completely open which you should you should be mm-hmm. open and you should be ready to to join a life with somebody when it gets to that stage but we just don't give enough attention to the practical side. And so many women end up in situations where they don't have their own assets and they don't have their own financial security and they're in relationships where they don't just don't have that power. And everybody, every woman should have some FU money, frankly. (laughs) That's just, that's a little. Every person should have some. Every, yeah, every, every person should have some FU money, but women. 
specifically women get some fu money (laughs) just saying yes he's hot yes he's got abs (laughs) yes he's lovely and charming and wonderful and your parents love him but get some fu money just always (laughs) just just, just keep it somewhere just in case you just never know with these with these men if you're um if you're unlucky enough to love straight men (laughs) then you know what i'm talking about Well, is there anything else you wanted to say on that? I think I have spoken enough and I think it's time to lie down so this dinner yeah, can start to digest. Basically our bedtime. It now. is. It's way past bedtime. We thought we would uh, we thought we'd have a lot more energy after that meal, but then we ordered like we ordered food like it was a Saturday. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was a Saturday night meal it's on a Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so we won't be making that mistake again. No, good to know for next time then. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. And don't forget to share this with everyone, friends and people you hate. Yes. Your friends and your foes. Make sure everyone <laughs> gets the Far link. and wide. Far and wide, wherever they are. Share this. Subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks very much. We'll and see you next week. See you next week. Yay. Bye.